0: Hey guys, good evening. How's it going? How do y'all feel for a Wednesday night? Anybody tired? Yeah, ready for Friday? I feel you there. Um, it's a lot of fun, though, to be gathered together with you guys. Um, believe uh, Whenever we think church plant, it's easy to think like seed, and it hasn't started yet, but really, I kind of picture like you go to Lowe's, and you get this really young little sapling, right? That's kind of us, right? We're, we're the small little plant, and so we're being planted in a new community, um, and you're already seeing us start to bear fruit as well. So that's fun. That's exciting. Um, I also love that there's kids in the background. It reminds me of Redstone's early days. Uh, so we're at the Trinity Arts Center when Redstone first started, and there's two levels, and so throughout the entire sermon, you hear kids upstairs with like toy hammers banging on the wall, running back and forth. Um, so it's great to, to have that there in the blessings of children. So um, hopefully you're not too distracted. I think they're awesome and there's no problem at all there. So um, you've, as you already heard, we're going to be in Matthew. It's on your worship guide that you have that Cameron made. So that's exciting that things are continuing to grow and develop as we do this because this is our only second time together. Um, But we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 if you do have your Bible, want to turn there, or if you want to um, just use the worship guide. So um, here we are together. Obviously, this is a big year for us, as we've talked about a lot at church and with our core group. It is church planting year, whatever that may mean to to you. Um, To me, it just means we get to be a part of something cool and awesome that God's doing, but it also feels pretty heavy to you, right? And so there's a lot to shoulder there with that. Um, But I think it's really, really exciting. Um so we'll just continue to do these each and every month and just grow and develop and figure out what does it look like for us to be the church together, gathered together, to to sing corporately and to hear God's words preached and that sort of thing. Um so that way whenever the church starts, we don't show up and think, Okay, so who's gonna be a greeter and who's gonna do this and that? So that's why we're we're doing these once a month. Um so this year, if I can um, can kind of study ahead and make a good plan we're going to be in the book of Matthew throughout this year. Um, I think it's a great place for us to be. So the whole purpose of the book of Matthew um, is written primarily to Jewish Christians um, but it was meant to, to show them that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah that the Old Testament is talking about for years and years. Um, and I think that's a really good thing for us, because at the same time, it looked at these Jewish Christians who tended to, to rely on working for their righteousness, and, it, you know, it showed them that Christ has already done that. I think that's good for us in the, the overly churched South, right, where we have the tendency to kind of work for um, for our for God's forgiveness, for our righteousness, that sort of thing. So I think it is a really good, important thing for us. But in the book of Matthew, um, you see that Jesus is this long-awaited Messiah, so he's kind of fulfilling everything from the Old Testament, right? Um, So he comes from the line of David. He's a Messiah from David, so he's the king. Um, He is also, you know, descended from Abraham. So in Genesis, God tells Abraham that through you, all the nations will be blessed, and so that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All the nations are blessed from him. I don't know how close I need to stand to this mic, sorry. Um... And so he's just fulfilling all these different things. He's also the new Moses, so he's like this authoritative um, teacher who comes with the new um, covenant, if you will, um, and takes place of the old law. So again, today we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. So this is the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and this section is known as the Beatitudes. So just to kind of look back at the rest of Matthew that we kind of um, glossed over to get here. So you have the genealogy of Jesus that shows him descended from Abraham to David, all the way to Jesus. Um, You have the birth of Jesus as well, and then you see that he is baptized by um, John the Baptist. You have the Holy Spirit descend on him, right? No, no big deal. Uh, you, see, you have God, the Father, say, this is my son in who I am well pleased. And then you see Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and nights of being tempted by Satan as well. Um, and then he goes and starts to call some of the disciples to follow him. And then that's kind of now where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5. He has all these you know, people that are with him. And so he takes them to a mountain. It's like Moses went to a mountain to get the, the law of God. Um, he takes the people to the mountain to give, him, give them this new teaching. Um, so that's where we are. And as Jen said earlier, um, with the Beatitudes, what they are is it it serves to show the character of what a true disciple of Jesus should be. Um, So that's what we're looking at is what exactly has God called us to be, not necessarily just do, um, but what does he want us to be along with me? And then we'll kind of dive in verse by verse, figure out exactly what is being said, and then how this applies to us. Um, So with Matthew chapter 5, I'm actually going to start in verse 1, but your worship guides pick up in verse 3. So again, these beatitudes—what they do—they serve um, a purpose. They—they they show us who it is that God, uh, Jesus, has called us to be as his followers. And so I think it's a very appropriate um, passage for us to kind of start off this year together as we're going forward, continuing God's work in Elizabethan. Um, So you look at a passage like this, and ultimately it seems like a pretty tall order, right? You see this really long list of stuff um, that you're supposed to be. It is not there, right? I can't um, do these things. I can't meet all of those expectations that Jesus is laying out in his first public sermon. Uh, But I think that's kind of a part of the point of something like this, right, Um, is to show us that we're not good enough, and that's what what the Scriptures tend to do for us. Uh, Before we kind of jump in, just what you need to know about the Beatitudes... Again, they show us the character of God's people, Christians. Um, So this is all Christians, right? Not elite Christians, not some awesome pastors or missionaries or evangelists or these super Christians that seem super holy all the time, right? Um, These are the characteristics that Jesus expects of each and every single one of us. So you and me, this is what he has called us to do, to be. Um, As you can see as we go throughout these, there are eight Beatitudes, and there are also eight blessings that go with each of those. Um, So again, those are the eight characteristics expected of us. And then also at the same time, there are the eight blessings that are given to each and every single Christian as well. So whenever we look at these blessings, they are part of God's kingdom, the already-not-yet, right? So whenever you look at these blessings, you can experience it partially, but one day we'll experience it fully. And that's just kind of a part of the way God's kingdom works right now, where we get to see and experience certain portions of His kingdom, and then one day it will be fully realized in eternity with Jesus. Um, But these Beatitudes, they're a a blessing to us because, again, they highlight for us the need for a Savior right? They show you, hey, you know, you're not good enough. You can't meet all these expectations, but Jesus already has. So they continually point us to Jesus, point us back to the cross. Um, So what I want to do is just really quickly, before we jump into other things, go verse by verse and make sure we really understand what is being said in these Beatitudes. Um, So these are going to be kind of a quick snapshot. So if you're taking notes, I'll try to go slow. Just tell me if I need to slow down. But I'm just going to go to each and every single one, kind of expound a little bit on what it is that Jesus is saying before we kind of see how it is that it applies to us. Um, So starting in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, So whenever you see something like this, you kind of have to ask yourself, well, what exactly does it mean to be poor? Because I don't know about you, but I don't have a whole lot of money, right? I'm a little on the poor side of things, right? But this is not necessarily like monetarily speaking poor. Um, Somebody who is monetarily poor, what that does is it serves as a symbol for us. Because somebody who cannot... um, you know, take care of themselves in a sense that are utterly poor, they need somebody else who can take care of them, right? So what is being talked about is a spiritual um, need, a spiritual poorness. So to be spiritually poor, you realize you're in utter need of a Savior, and you have no way of saving yourself. So you come to understanding that without Jesus, you have no hope at all. And Jesus is your only hope. Um, And you see God promising things like this all throughout scriptures. You look back at Isaiah 42, 17 and 18, and it says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. So whenever we are poor in spirit and we have need, God fulfills that need, right? Um, Jesus says we are blessed when you're poor in spirit. So what he's saying is um, to be poor in spirit is to be humbled before him. To know that you are in need of a savior, only God can save you. And by acknowledging that, we are obviously given opportunity to have eternal life with Jesus, right? So that is the blessing that we receive by being poor and humble in spirit. So the very first beatitude starts with our heart and our condition before God, where we come to Him humbly and say, God, I am not good enough. I need a Savior. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. So moving on to the next one, again, where it's going verse by verse. Um, So blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So this morning that Jesus is talking about, he doesn't mean um, a sadness that comes with like a job loss or maybe a loss of a loved one or something like that. Um, what he's referring to is people who mourn over their sin. Um, so again, the that, that first step is that you need to acknowledge that you need a savior because you're sinful and are not good enough. Um, but it, it takes a whole new deeper level and a deeper meaning um, to realize that you are so spiritually bankrupt that you begin to grieve and to mourn over that sin. Um, So the gospel is good news because we first have the bad news, right? You have to know just how bad things are in order to know just how great um, Jesus is and all that he has done. Um, So God calls us to mourn and grieve over our sin. He also calls us to mourn and grieve over the sin of others around us, um, loved ones and our cities and our country as well. So you look to, to Jesus, and he wept over the sin of others. So we are called to mourn over our sin and over the sin of other people around us. And as we mourn, we will be comforted by the only one who can bring us comfort, and that is Jesus, right? You acknowledge your sin before him. You mourn and grieve that sin but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can comfort you, right? He has taken our place. Let's go on to verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This word meekness, we could spend a long time kind of diving in even just to this verse. Um, To a lot of us, it may sound like meek means weak. Meekness is weakness, Um, but that's not really the case. It's more of kind of this this humble attitude and being considerate, exercising self-control. Um, so Martin Luther jo- or Martin Lloyd Jones, a famous preacher, um, he kind of described this idea of meekness. He said, "Meekness denotes a humble and gentle attitude to others, which is determined by a true estimate of ourselves, meaning we understand ourselves as we are." He points out that it is comparatively easy to be honest with ourselves before God, and to acknowledge ourselves to be sinners in His sight, but how much more difficult is it to allow other people? to say things like that about me. I instinctively resent it. We all prefer to condemn ourselves rather than to allow somebody else to condemn us. So this idea of being meek, what it means is we understand who we are as ourselves, right? We understand our sinful character. And because of that, we are respectful both to God and to others as they point out that sin and we're, we end up being amazed that other people can love us, that God can love us because of that sin. So to be meek is to understand yourself rightly and correctly, and then to be humble before God and before man as well. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So the spiritual hunger is a characteristic that must be true of all of God's people. Um, in Matthew six thirty three, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. So, whenever you look at this word righteousness and you kind of study it throughout scriptures, there are three um, types of righteousness for God um, where we are in need of a Savior and we need justification through Jesus. So, that is a legal righteousness. The second, is a moral righteousness, and so that's like righteousness of character and conduct that pleases God, and then the third is a moral righteousness, so that's where we look at this brokenness of the world around us, and we seek um, to bring freedom from oppression, so freedom from sin and just kind of the way that the world is, so there's like three prongs to this righteousness, right? So we desire righteousness, and it could be ours in Jesus both now and in eternity, I know I'm going through these quickly, but it's because we have other things to talk about. So if you want to dive in deeper later, let me know. I'm up at like midnight right now with the kid. So, so verse 7, um, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So this idea of mercy is compassion for people in need. So it's an extending of relief. And whenever we we give this mercy, we are only able to do so because God is merciful with us first, right? Right. And this idea of being mercy or being, or you know, receiving mercy from God, it is not because we were merciful first. It comes from God first, right? So He is merciful first, and then He continues and will always be merciful to us. And it is out of a reaction to His mercy that we can extend that same mercy to other people. So as you're looking at these Beatitudes, you're seeing them kind of starting with our condition of our heart before God, right? A realization of sin, a grief of sin, um, and a realization that only Jesus can kind of meet those needs, but then you kind of see it start to move a little bit outwardly too, and how we interact with other people in seeking righteousness and being merciful. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So Jesus is always concerned with the condition of our heart. Anytime that you watch him all throughout the Gospels, whenever he goes to, um, to speak to people and he's healing people, he always starts with the heart first, right? He's more concerned with their spiritual well-being than their physical well-being. It always comes out of that. So he's concerned with the, the condition of our heart. So just like the Pharisees in the days of Jesus, it is really easy for us to look like we have it all together, or at least to attempt to, right? I know I do this. Um, One of my biggest pet peeves is when something happens to where it looks like I don't have my stuff together, right? Because then people start to realize, oh yeah, he doesn't have it all together. He's not perfect, even though we all try to be perfect, um, to look like this perfect Christian when on the inside we're really, you know, crumbling because of our own sin, Um, In another sense, this idea of being pure in heart is being sincere in our relationship with God and with others. So we we are called by God to be transparent before Him with our sin and be transparent with other people because of our sin as well. So to look like we have it all together is not to be impure in heart. So remember, we need an, we have a need for a Savior. We've already seen that in the other Beatitudes. And in order to have a true, pure, and transparent heart, we allow both God and other people to see that we acknowledge our need for a Savior. So that's this idea of being pure in heart. And so because we're able to be transparent before God and confess our sin and receive His mercy, um, we're able to see God through faith now. And then, of course, one day we'll see Him in person. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So God calls us to actively pursue peace with people both inside the church and outside the church. Um, So that includes all of us in this room. Someday one of us might get a little frustrated with somebody else. We are called to pursue peace, right? And the same with those outside of the church. But if you look at this idea of peacemaking, really what it boils down to is this idea of reconciliation, and only God can truly bring reconciliation between himself and people and between people and others. But at the same time, because we are his sons and daughters, we are called to pursue this peace and pursue this reconciliation. So between others, our job is to bring reunion between those that are divided. And then between others and God, our job is to help bring reconciliation to himself. So peace and trying isn't only Um, Instead, it's more of a bringing reunion if it needs to happen, and then also evangelism, so bringing people to Jesus. And then finally, verses 10 through 12, it talks about this idea of persecution. Um, So it's interesting that we leave the previous verse where we are called to be peacemakers, but then at the same time, Jesus is like, but you need to expect persecution as well coming out of that. Um, So it is a a guaranteed thing in the Christian life, and Jesus calls us to both um, rejoice and be glad in that persecution. And so the world looks at something like that, they look at the kingdom of God, and everything seems upside down, right? Right. Make peace with your enemies, but also be glad if they persecute you. That doesn't make sense to the world, but that's what we are called to throughout Scripture. Um, you could look at other Scriptures like in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 12 and following. It says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed." If you're insulted for the name of Jesus, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's actually chapter four. And there's another passage in chapter three that's the same idea where we are to expect these fiery trials, we're to expect opposition and suffering from the world. But at the same time, we are blessed because of it. We are blessed if we are persecuted for the name of Jesus. And so because of this, we can look and we can know that we're pursuing all these things, we're pursuing righteousness, but we're going to suffer for that righteousness. We're going to pursue peace, but we're going to suffer from the world because we are pursuing peace. And whenever we do, we're able to be glad and to be joyful because we have to remind ourselves that we're not at war against other people, right? This opposition that comes, ultimately the war that we're in is a spiritual war, right? So Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people. It's against the dark rulers and the principalities of this world. That is who we war against. And so whenever that opposition comes, we can be rejoice and be glad because we are suffering for the name of Jesus. All right, so we went through all of the Beatitudes. I just wanted to quickly make sure we understood more or less what Jesus was saying. Obviously, you could spend several more weeks going in and studying exactly what these means, exactly what it means to have these characteristics, but I just wanted to have a little bit of a framework to look at. Um, but as I said before, whenever we look at a passage like this, the problem that we run into is we see it as a list of things that we are to do, right? A thing to, to check off. But the problem is that you and I can never live up to these expectations in the Beatitudes. It is utterly impossible, You look at the Beatitudes and these teachings of Jesus, and it's like taking the Old Testament and the law that Moses gave and multiplying the difficulty by like a hundred, right? That's what Jesus is doing here. He's showing you, you know what? There is no way that you can keep any of these commands that I'm giving you. It is impossible for you to do so. But I think that's the temptation that many of us are going to face, right? Right? We're going to have the temptation that, you know, I I can work for God's forgiveness. Um, I can work for my righteousness. Even if we don't consciously do so, uh, subconsciously, that's our tendency, I think. Um, But we have to remember that it is impossible for us to do this. But because we'll be tempted to, I think it's really easy for all of us to live in our flesh, right? Um, to do the exact opposite of the Beatitudes. So interestingly, I was able to find online somebody that took the Beatitudes, and they created the exact opposite, just so you can kind of see the juxtaposition there. Um, so they called it the Cursitudes. So I'm going to read these for you real quick. You don't have to write them down because they would take you too long. But I think it's really interesting to see the exact opposite of the character that Jesus is calling to. So the Cursitudes. Cursed are the self-satisfied, for they are as good as they will ever be. Cursed are the party-goers, for soon the party will be over. Cursed are the forceful, for they will end up with nothing. Cursed are those with no hunger or thirst for God, for they will never find fulfillment. Cursed are the merciless, for they will not receive mercy. Cursed are the impure, for they will only see darkness." Cursed are the troublemakers, for they will be left unclaimed. Cursed are those who have gained prominence through immorality, for their end will be one of obscurity. Cursed are you when people praise you, look up to you, and flatter you because of your resistance to God. Start the grieving process and prepare for disaster, for your curse in hell will be huge, just as those who went before you were evil." So you read something like that, you're like, man, that is pretty harsh, right? But if you think about it, that is the exact opposite of what Christ is calling us to. And so there's this really big divide. Um, And so you may be looking at something like this, you're like, well, I'm not that bad, right? Like, I'm not trying to do all those things. I try to do a pretty good job um, of these sort of Beatitudes, right? Um, I mourn sometimes for sin and usually for the Tennessee Vols during football season. Um, I'm pretty meek after I've had one or two cups of coffee in the morning, and as long as nobody cuts me off on the interstate, right? Um, I read my Bible most days of the week because I want righteousness, right? So maybe that's more of us where we're, we're, we're trying, but we're not quite there yet. Um, or maybe we're genuinely trying to, to check off the list and seek all these things. Um, but if you look at it as a list, it becomes you working for righteousness, working for God's forgiveness instead of resting in the finished work of Jesus. You see, it could be really easy to think, you know, if I just feel really about my, really bad about my sins today, um, then maybe God will forgive me. Or to think, you know what, maybe if I give my last $5 in my wallet to that guy on the street corner, maybe other people driving by will see how righteous I am, and maybe God will give me an extra 5 bucks, right, because I gave it away. So it could be easy, you know, in some of those temptations to just make it a little bit more about ourselves, make it a little bit more about what we do rather than what Christ has done. But no matter how hard we try, it is impossible for us to live up to what we are called to in Scriptures in our own power. But as always, we have the gospel, and so the good news is that Jesus has already lived up to all of these standards, right? He lived up to the Old Testament standards. He's lived up to these beatitudes that he called us to. And you can see that throughout Scripture. Um, He never expected special treatment to be treated like a king. He came to serve. He was poor in spirit, and he associated with the literal poor of his day. He wept over the sins of others and the sins of God's people. He was meek in that he totally submitted to the will of the Father. And he had zeal for his father's house and for God's word and righteousness. See, Jesus perfectly lived out all of these beatitudes. He lived a perfect life and he took the place for our sins, right? He died in our place and he rose again in order to that he could bring reconciliation between us and God so that he could bring peace. So just as we're called to be peacemakers, Jesus is the great peacemaker because he is able to bring reconciliation between us and God. And not only does he take the place of our sins, that's justification, right, where he takes away that punishment for us and pays our spiritual bankruptcy, Um, but he also imputes or gives us his righteousness in return. So that's like 10 times the gift, right? He not only takes the punishment, but he gives his righteousness in return. And so because we have the righteousness of Christ, we also have this great inheritance, the inheritance of eternity with him. Um, We also get those blessings that are mentioned in the Beatitudes, you know what? We never we never had to go and be all these awesome things. We don't have to be a super Christian because Jesus did all of that for us and we get those blessings in return. And so now we know that we will be comforted. We know that we're going to inherit the earth. We know that we will be satisfied. And what a great feeling I'm sure that will be one day in eternity. We can see it partially now and then one day fully to be satisfied. We know that we will receive mercy. That we will see God, that we are sons and daughters of God adopted by the King, and we are blessed even when we are persecuted for the name of Jesus. All of these blessings are ours in Christ Jesus because of what He has already done for us. So we don't have to be super Christians. We don't have to check off some sort of list of these Beatitudes along with everything else that we try to do um, in our lives. We get to rest in the finished work of Jesus. So what are our next steps? I've got three short and easy steps for you before we finish. Um, The first step that we should always take is one step towards the cross. So if you look at the Beatitudes, the long list of impossible tasks, and you think this is something I need to do, then you're already trying to work for your righteousness. Instead, I encourage you to go to the cross where Jesus is already victorious on your behalf. Maybe your character looks a little bit more like the Cursitudes than the Beatitudes. Well, if that's the case, then again, repent and believe and go to the cross. Go to Jesus who has already died on your behalf, taken your place, and made you victorious. Secondly, after we go to the cross in prayer, um, we go to the Father and ask Him to help us to be who He has called us to be. So if you look throughout Scripture, specifically in Philippians 2.13, it tells us that God works in us both to will and to do His great pleasure. And so what that means is that God gives us both the desire and the ability to obey what He has called us to, because we have the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And so we have to go to God and say, look, I'm not good enough on my own, but Jesus is. Father, please help me to be who you have called me to be for your glory. And then finally, the last step is just for us to encourage one another. So the road is long ahead, right? This road this year of church planting and even all throughout our lives. And there's going to be times where we're tempted to work in our flesh for our righteousness. And we're going to need each other to point that out, right? So that way we can be meek and realize our sin. And there's going to be other times where we're tempted to lose hope because something in life is really, really hard and really, really difficult. And we need one another to lift each other up and to help each other to go back to the cross, back to Jesus, and back to his finished work. So during this time, we're gonna go ahead and move into communion. And so what communion, oh, sorry. Uh, Just to encourage one another. Number two, all right, so first is the cross. Second is prayer. God, can you help me to be who you called on me to be? And then third is to encourage one another in this process. It's like my students you know, you just repeat yourself, no big deal. Write it down. Take notes, right? Just kidding. So um, what we're going to do is go into a time of communion. What communion is, is that first step, right? Where we go to the cross of Jesus, where he has already defeated sin and death, and he's victorious for us on our behalf, and we get to live in that and go through our lives in that. So if you can hear me, I'm going to go and break the bread. I'm going to explain exactly what we're doing. Um, Since there's not too, too many of us, we'll do what we did last time. We'll come Take it, just make a nice big family.